0: So you just thought we were getting away from Moses and Aaron, didn't you? <laughs> uh, actually, we wanted to spend this week because uh, we're taking a one week off before we begin our Advent series, uh, and we thought it was a good time to revisit this blessing because this is the thing that we do at the conclusion of every service. We read this passage. Uh, and I know that a lot of you know probably why because you've been here for a long time, but we take for granted that so many new people have come before since the time that we may have explained it. And so we, uh, from time to time, need to re-explain it and revisit it and talk about the significance of it. And why do we do it at the conclusion of our services? And why do we do it every Sunday? Well, we actually began that almost 20 years ago when we started Mars Hill. It was probably only about six or seven months into the beginning, the foundation of this new body of believers, that we began this practice. And we've continued it ever since. And it really was from a study that I was doing um, personally that I found this and kind of came across it. And I was like, you know, God instructed the priest to bless the people of Israel that way. We are grafted into the, uh, the people of Israel. We are a part of the body and the people of Christ. And because of that, uh, I believe that pastors have that same role, uh, believers being all of us. We all speak these things to each other as we believe in the priesthood of all believers. So I think it's very fitting for us to bless the people in this way. But I think a lot of times we've got to go back and ask ourselves, why? Why did God want Aaron to do this? Uh, we oftentimes com- call this the ironic blessing, but at the same time, it's really God's blessing because Aaron didn't bless anybody. It's God that's blessing him. He's just using Aaron as the mouthpiece of what he wants to do. And so the questions we wanna ask and answer this morning as best we can is, why do we do that? Where does it come from? What does it mean? And what is the significance for us today? In other words, how, how do we apply it and think about it in terms of what happens here from Sunday to Sunday and as we go throughout the week. So let's begin, I wanna do this, I want us to read it together, okay? Because again, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, so as God instructed Aaron to bless the people in this way, we are to bless each other in this way. So if you would, it's gonna be on the screen, you've heard it week after week, so you should have it memorized by now. But um, if you don't, you can follow along on the screen. Let's begin in verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So let's look at some of the themes that come from this passage. If you think about it, paid attention to what you were saying there, you would notice some things that are very apparent. And that is number one, the Lord is the source of all blessing. Did you notice that? It's him. He is the one who gives. It's not Aaron, it's not Moses, it's not it's not the people because they're good enough because they deserve it. It is God's intention to bless And he is the source of all blessing. It's mentioned three times in this passage. Not only is it mentioned three times, it's the start of every verse. Yahweh, it's the holy name of God. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his countenance uh, smile. So again, over and over again, it begins with Yahweh. He is the source of all blessing. He's the source of all good things. So what does this teach us except that we have to recognize that every good thing comes from God? Uh, The scripture tells us that he is the father of lights, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. Again, this is a reiteration of the character of God and who he is and what he intends to do. Uh, Not only these passages, it really continues into verse 27. Look at verse 27. It says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will Bless them. So there's a blessing that's associated with the name of God. All three verses start with the holy name of God, Yahweh, and it concludes with this summary saying that God's intention is to bless all the people who have his name. Again, we go back to Exodus and we remember in the 10 words, one of the words was, do not take my name in vain. And we talked about that. And if you aren't here, just let me remind you that it, ha- it has very little to do with you know, cursing. It has little to do with saying GD because the word God is not God's name. You don't take God's name in vain when you say GD because his name isn't God. His name is Yahweh. Okay. So again, God comes from Elohim. Elohim is a generic name for any God. The Canaanites would have used the word Elohim. Anybody around there in that day and time would have used the word Elohim. It's generic. Now in the scripture, when it says Elohim, we know that it's talking about God, the God of the Bible. But again, it's a generic word. His name is Yahweh, not God. I would encourage you when you pray, use his name. Because that's what he said. He said to Moses, this is the name that I want to be known by from generation to generation. Now, again, there's no, nothing wrong with referring to God as God. And that doesn't excuse people who use the word GD. Cursing is not a good thing. But what I'm saying is the passage has a much richer context than just cursing. It has a context of marriage, Whenever a bride and a groom come together, even in our day and time, tradition is that most of us, when the bride and groom come together, the woman takes the man's name. So there's a change, excuse me, there's a change of identity there, right? Not only of identity, but the way they're labeled. In other words, what they're going to be called. They take on this name. So whenever we see that in scripture and he's calling the people of Israel and he's saying, I'm extending my holy name to you, don't. Take it doesn't say don't use my name in vain. It says don't take. My name in vain. In other words, the taking. Do you take this woman to be uh, your bride? Do you take this man to be your husband? It's the taking, is this covenant aspect of coming together and sharing a name and sharing identity. And what God is saying is, I've chosen you among all the people of the world. Don't take this for granted. Don't take my name that I'm extending to you and live contrary to what it represents, contrary to who I am. So again, we're reminded of that with the emphasis of of the name of God right here in this passage. It's kind of a summary of everything, verse 27 is, of what we've seen in these previous three verses. What is the point of this very strong emphasis on where this blessing come from? Could it be, possibly, that they, we also, but they, were guilty of looking to other sources as a fountain of their blessing? Yes and yes. (laughs) Yes, they were looking to other sources. Yes, it was always their temptation. Yes, it's our temptation as well. Yes, we are oftentimes guilty of looking to other sources as a source of our blessing where good things come from. How are we guilty of that? Well, just think about material blessings. Oftentimes, we look at material blessings as the place where we are benefited or gifted from. Let me give you an example. Maybe not a great example, but as an example, uh, I, I have in my mind something that I would really love to have. Okay, now I can't afford this but it doesn't stop me from like wanting it, right? And it would be like one of those Jeep trucks because I need a truck because I have a Honda Accord right now when I go to Home Depot and I get two by fours, I look ridiculous driving back to my house and there's two by fours sticking out the trunk and they go through that one little thing that pops down in the back seat all the way to where the shifter is in the front, okay? So I would love to have something I can just throw in the back. But It's like I tell my kids. They're like, well, Dad, do you wish you could have that car right there? I was like, no, I wish I had a Maserati. And they're like, why? I was like, because if we're wishing, I mean, might as well, because then I could sell the Maserati and get whatever I wanted and still have some cash left over. So if we're just wishing, might as well wish for something really big. But the point of it is this. If I'm gonna get a truck, I might as well wish for a really nice truck. And I saw one of those Jeep trucks, and like most of them, I don't like the way they look, but this one was tricked out. I mean, it was like really cool looking. I mean, it was just, it was really nice and really fancy. And I would love, love, love to have that and drive around in that and find my identity in that. You know, like driving around, you're like, yeah, I'm cool. Um, But beyond that, here's the thing. If I ever got to the point where I could afford it, if I could afford the payments and I convinced myself of it and I went and I signed those papers, do you know what would happen immediately when I drive off that lot? I would begin worrying about when the first scratch is gonna go on it. I would begin worrying about parking in parking lots. I would begin to worry about, well, should I park it in the sun? Is the sun going to cause the paint job to fade or the dashboard to fade? Or, hey, you know, can I park it in this place? Is it safe? Is somebody going to break into it? I, immediately when I get this blessing, it doesn't bring me this great sense of pleasure. Yeah, there's just moments, maybe it makes me feel cool or whatever, but there are longer moments where it brings me anxiety and it brings me worry. Why? Because that cistern is never one intended to bring me this constant source of joy. It can't feed me what I'm looking for. That's an example of material possessions, but there's also like relationships. I mean, we all remember growing up as teenagers thinking, if we could just date that girl or that boy, you know, if I had that relationship, we do everything we can to pour into it. Because to think, if I could ever date that person, then life would be so much better. Then I would be fulfilled. And then we date that person, and then maybe, you know, it's great for a while, but then we realize they're not as perfect as we thought they were, and maybe they realize we aren't as perfect as they thought we were. And what happens is, what started off with this really great hope of this, 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 this satisfaction and this, this source of contentment and identity ends up being something that we, like, eh, you know what, maybe there's something better out there. Why? Because that cistern was never meant to be your source of refreshment Constantly. It could be material possessions. It could be relationships. It could be being recognized, being recognized because of your athletic performance or your academic performance or your success in the business world. It could be spirituality, your piety, how faithful you are to the cause of Christ, how much you share your faith, how much Bible knowledge you have, how many things you go to, how many times you show up when the church opens up. It could be your physical appearance. You know, you pour so much time into going to the gym and eating right. And now, the point I want to make. Is nothing is wrong with any of those things themselves. It's when we go to them as a source of our hope and pleasure and blessing and our identity. That's when they become bad things. That's when they become evil things, because they were never intended to be the sources that we go to. We were never to look to these things as our source of blessing, of giving us the things that we are looking for. See what I'm saying there? I mean, if you understand it, you you see what I'm saying, that sometimes the things that we think of as blessing are actually the things we're going to to receive blessing. Does that make sense? So in other words, yeah, I might think of a truck as a blessing, but in reality, the way I'm living it is I'm wanting a blessing from it. I'm wanting it to give me identity, to give me purpose, to give me pleasure, to give me satisfaction of this is who I am, and this is what I've achieved, and and this is my persona or my identity that I want to project to other people. That's the blessing that we're talking about. And a truck, a relationship, a material possession, uh, an identity of success was never intended to be a source of blessing. They're just things, they're just things. And so when we come to this, if truly being blessed is not found in any of these places, the question we're left with is then where do we find it? What do these verses point us to as the source of blessing? And there's three things, obviously, with three verses. We break them down very easily. This is awesome because it's like a good Baptist message. Three points. We're going to have a prayer afterwards, and they all start with P. You'll see that in just a second. But when, when we uh, come to this, let's look at the passage verse by verse. Verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. You know what this covers? Covers all of your basic needs needs and safety. When it says the Lord bless you and keep you, that he is the source of blessing. He's intended to be the source of all blessing. And he's the source of protection. So he is your provision and your Protection. See that where we're going? So that's what we have there. You know, when you study psychology, you have like, you study Maslow and Erickson and all these basic forms of needs that we have. You remember the triangle, the little pyramid, and it talks about the point of self-actualization when you get to the top of it. But before, they say, before you can ever get to the point of self-actualization, before you even worry about that, all those other things have to be taken care of. And if you remember, the very bottom of it is like your basic needs, food. And shelter. And so this verse, this blessing starts out with reminding us that God is going to provide for you and He's going to protect you. Now, again, remember that this flows out of the book of Exodus. I want you to remember. Exodus, well, let's go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis is where God calls Abraham. Abraham has made this promise that he's going to be the father of a great nation, many descendants. They're going to be in a land that's not their own, slaves for over 400 years. But God's going to hear their cries. He's going to bring them out. He's going to bring them into this land and give it to them as their inheritance, a promise made to Abraham. Well, the book of Exodus, well, as you I guess if you finish out the book of Genesis, it follows Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. The end of Genesis ends with Joseph. Joseph has brought all of his brothers into the land. Now Exodus picks up with... 400 years later, and they have been slaves in the land for that long. God brings Moses, raises him up, delivers the people from Egypt, brings them into the wilderness. So what you have there is this same picture, God blessing them. When they went into the wilderness, they had no food, they had no water. God provides the basic needs for them. He gives them food miraculously. He gives them water miraculously. He protects them from the enemies, from the elements that are all around them. God has blessed them and God has kept them. He's kept them safe. That's the picture that we have there. Okay. Now let's continue on verse 25. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now this speaks of a face-to-face relationship and the joy that comes from that face-to-face relationship. Have you ever seen someone's face light up when someone else walks into the room? Uh, it may be that young couple, that teenage couple, that college couple, you know, and they, they, they're in that fatuation stage, you know, and they just love each other, and they want to spend all their time together, and they want to talk on the phone together, and they just want to do everything together, and that time that they're apart, they're just like, oh, this is so agonizing. I can't wait to be with this person again, and when that person walks into the room, they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, their, their attention is drawn, and the light comes on their face. Yeah, remember that? And marriage kills all of that. I'm just kidding. It doesn't do that. But what happens is, and you, can you tell I just came from a marriage retreat this weekend? Anyway. Um, No, the point of it is there is this kind of light that comes to your face whenever that person comes in. It could be like, I love these stories. I know that you've seen them on the news. You've probably seen them on YouTube. But it's like when when that, that child is at the school rally and they bring him up and they give him some kind of fake certificate just to kind of get him up in his back turn. He's facing the crowd and they bring his dad in that's been in the military and he's been away for like a year or two and they have no idea that he's come home. They've only seen him like through the video Chat and through letters and through talking. And then all of a sudden, there's a tap on the shoulder and the kid turns around. And when his eyes see his dad or his mom that has returned from the service in a foreign land, they light up, tears begin to come out of their eyes and they grip onto that person like they're never going to let go. That's what it means when it talks about the face shining. It's when you understand that you're in the presence of something very, very special, a gift, a blessing that's been extended to you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Because none of us deserve this, right? None of us deserve to be in the presence of God. That's how the book of Exodus really ends. And and think about how it continues on. From the end of Exodus, what we're left with, and we just studied that whole book, and you remember how it ended was... There was this unholy people and this really holy God, and there was this concern if this holy God comes amongst all these holy unholy people, he would consume them. So we're left with this dilemma. God wants to be with his people, but God's presence, his holy presence with his people would consume them. What are we gonna do? The book of Leviticus answers that. God comes up with a way through a substitute sacrifice that unholy people can be made holy for at least a moment so that they can approach a holy God. Now it's a sacrificial system that has to happen over and over and over again. And it, but it's pointing to something that will be in finality later on. So the book of Leviticus answers the question that we're left with at the end of the book of Exodus. And then the book of Numbers picks up with this same story. Now it tells us about the people wandering around in the desert for 40 years before they go into the promised land which is really what Deuteronomy and Joshua are about. Deuteronomy is Moses reminding them of what happened at Mount Sinai and reminding them of the covenant and reminding them to be faithful when God gives them the land. And of course, the book of Joshua is about them going in and taking the land. So in this long story, we see this sequence that God is faithful throughout every stage of this. And this passage right here finds itself in the early parts of the book of Numbers, shortly after the events of Exodus. Because remember, remember Leviticus is really not a whole lot of events. It's more of information of how these unholy people approach a holy God. So really you can almost stack with a little exception. You can almost butt end uh, Exodus up to Numbers and you see a continuation of the story. Okay. So Numbers happens very shortly after there is this dilemma. There's now... Leviticus tells us how this dilemma is solved and then Numbers tells us the benefit of this dilemma and it's in this passage right here. Remember that it was Moses who was known for walking into the presence of God and having this shining face when he came out. From spending so much time in the presence of God, his face radiated to the point people were like, oh my gosh, Moses, what's going on with you? And he had to calm them down and call them and invite them to himself because he was being transformed by being in the presence of God. And don't you know that so many of them looked at that and thought, wow, I wonder what that's like. I wonder what it's like to be in the presence of God like Moses is, to see like the, uh, just a taste, just a short little example of, of, of the glory of God, to speak with him as one man speaks to another. Man, that must be amazing. And then it continues on in Numbers chapter 6, verse 26. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, Here is our misconception about understanding the blessing of God. We think like this. We say, God doesn't want to extend a blessing to me because I'm not worthy of a blessing. And maybe if I become worthy of one, I can get his attention. And maybe if I can get his intention, I can impress him. And maybe if I can impress him, then he'll want to bless me or he'll have to bless me. And ultimately what we're engaging is the manipulation of God. Somehow God is hesitant. To bless us. Somehow God doesn't want to do that, and somehow He has to be convinced that I am worthy of a blessing in some form or fashion. But the truth of this passage is that God is the one who initiates the blessing, it is not us. We are not the ones who are initiating the blessing. Did you see that? It wasn't Aaron who was coming to Moses saying, hey, I've been spending a lot of time with the people, and all of them are asking, how can we get the blessing of God? We want to have the blessing of God. We want to spend more time in his presence. No, they didn't feel worthy of it. They wouldn't even ask such a thing. It's not even Moses who's approaching God saying, God, I've loved being in your presence, and I've loved having this this intimate relationship with you and knowing you in a deeper way, but I want all the people to know this, and they want to know it so God how can they have your blessing? No, the scripture says that God came to Moses and he told Moses, tell Aaron to bless the people in this way every time he sees them. May God bless you. May Yahweh extend his face and his countenance and his grace to you. God initiates blessing. We don't. Nothing you do can initiate the blessing of God. Not all of your best efforts, not the best foot forward that you could put, not all of your spirituality, not all of your good works can initiate one blessing from God. All blessing begins and ends with God. It's all there. Remember from this passage that it is he who wants to bless you. I hope you see that. God is the initiator of all good things. He is not hesitant. He is not unwilling. He is not unaware. He knows what you're going through. He knows the situations that you find yourself. He knows what you need. He's not unwilling to meet those needs. He's not unwilling to extend to you the things that you need. He's not hesitant. He stands ready to bless you as a good father would. He's not looking for the worthy. In fact, what Scripture tells us more than anything is that he's looking for the unworthy. That's exactly who he's seeking out. You don't believe me? Well, the New Testament tells us that very clearly. If you think about Jesus, he seeks to bless those who are found in the ranks of the unworthy, even, may we say, the unuseful, tax collectors, sinners, fishermen, prostitutes, lepers, Gentiles, the blind, the crippled, the hungry, the Samaritans. Matter of fact, you remember the story about the woman at the well? She kind of epitomizes all of those things. She is not only a Samaritan, and she is a woman, and functionally, she's basically a prostitute. And yet Jesus stops and engages this woman in spiritual conversation and says to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink of water and I would give it to you. And then he goes on and has this deep conversation and says this. If you can understand it, if you can even receive this, the day is coming, in fact, is already here, when true worshipers will not worship on that mountain or this mountain. They will worship God in spirit and in truth. He invites this woman of ill repute, of the Samaritan group, the outcast, the marginalized, and says, I invite you to receive blessing from me, not because you're worthy, but because I found you in your unworthy state and I don't want you to stay that way. Let me ask you this. Why does God seem to always approach the unworthy people? Here's why. Because the unworthy people know they're unworthy. It's the other group of people that haven't realized that they're unworthy yet that Jesus can't get through to. It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rich who all think they're self-sufficient, who all think their blessings come from the things that they have, the positions that they hold, the things that they know. And somehow, the economy of God and theology that Jesus was preaching to them did not mesh with their understanding of reality, and therefore, they always missed the blessing of God. Why? Because they loved going to those empty cisterns for some reason. They loved perpetuating their own religiosity and goodness and worthiness. It was those who were at the bottom of the barrel, those who were marginalized by society. There was no doubt they were unworthy and Jesus went to them and they received him. And he gave to those kinds of people the keys of the kingdom. See, if you think about it, when you think about the ironic blessing here and you think about Jesus's death on the cross, Jesus is or lived out the antithesis of this blessing. Think about this for a moment. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Jesus was cursed and turned over. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. Darkness descended on Jesus when he was on the face of the cross. Everyone turned away from him. There was even that time he cried on the the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. No grace was extended to Jesus. Matter of fact, he's the only person we know of in all of history who received both the 40 lashes of the cat of nine tails and crucifixion on the same day. No grace was issued to him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. Jesus was despised and neglected. And may he give you peace. Jesus knew no peace. I want you to think about this by putting all of this in context. Towards the end of the book of Exodus, we talked about the shining face of Moses. Moses. Moses was the mediator. He was the one going between the people and God. He was going and saying, God, if I'm to represent you to these people, I need to know you more fully, more deeply. I wanna know you, who you are, and your character so that I can go and tell them who you are and represent you well. And then he was also representing these unholy people to this holy God and saying, God, I know that you are a forgiver of sins, and I know that you can forgive iniquity. And These people are perfect for you because they're full of both of those things. And Here's what they need from you, God, and they need you to do this, and they need you to come through like this, and they need you to provide like this. And Moses was that mediator, and Moses was enjoying this presence of God. And one of the things that was... The, the, the fruition or the, the uh, showing of that presence of God that he was going into frequently was that shining face that he had. God was literally letting him receive a taste, a portion of the countenance of a holy God. And here, After we have the end of the book of Exodus where there's the conflict, how do unholy people approach a holy God? And then Leviticus answers that. Here is a sacrificial system. There will be a substitute who will take the place of the sinner to make that sinner righteous so that sinner can approach this holy God. And the book of Numbers starts out saying, Moses, I want you to tell Aaron to bless the people this way because I want you to remind them that I want every one of them to experience what you have. I want every one of them to be able to walk into my presence. I want every one of them to be transformed by my presence in their life. I want all of them to shine. I want all of them to taste of this glory. I want you to remind them every time you approach them, may Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift up his countenance on you, and may he give you peace. The very thing that Jesus gave up is what he wants to extend to us because he took the full brunt of our evil, of our sin, of our rebellion. Why do we conclude our services with this blessing? Because this is something we all need to be reminded of. You know what? If we could meet here every day of the week, we would need to be reminded of this every day of the week. It's to remind us that the stories and the concepts and the truths that we study in this book are not something that happened a long time ago. They're intended for you today. Every time you hear the word of God taught, it's an invitation to come close, to come and know me, to spend some time in my presence, to be transformed by me. God is still seeking to extend all the benefits of a relationship with him to you through faith in Jesus. God is still looking for the unworthy to transform them into being worthy and receiving the benefits of the worthy. Now, questions I want to leave you with is this. Number one, do you really believe that God is the source of all blessing. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that he is the father of lights and every good and perfect gift comes from him? Or are you still going to those old broken cisterns hoping that they can provide you with just a moment of pleasure, just a moment of significance, just a moment of peace, a moment of rest, a moment of identity, Why do you keep going to those things that will never fulfill you? When you have an invitation from the holy to say, come into my presence and never thirst again. Come into my presence and be taken care of. Come into my presence, be provided for. You know, whenever we begin to pray, our prayer life is really a picture of where we are in our relationship with God, oftentimes. I'm reminded of the Lord's prayer when the disciples said, "Jesus teach us how to pray." Now, I think that's amazing. I think about the disciples who watch Jesus all the time. And I think it's pretty significant that when they asked him a question, they didn't say, "Jesus, tell us how you do those miracles. Jesus, tell us tell us how you walk on water." Jesus, Tell us how you always have a good response for those Pharisees whenever they bring up some real difficult situation and you just turn it on them. Lord, teach us to be wise like that. Teach us to be smart. No, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now think about that for a moment. These are Jewish young men who have been taught to pray since they were little boys. For them to ask Jesus how to pray, they were making a very Obvious declaration. We've walked with you and we've seen you, and we realize that everything you do somehow finds its source in your prayer life. Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus' response, what we call the model prayer, says, What? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's where you are, and we're not there. But may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we taste somehow of of, of kingdom glory. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Did you notice their physical needs, then spiritual needs? And lead us not into temptation, temptation, Don't let us be convinced that somehow our identity and our fulfillment and our blessing is in this world. Deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Jesus is basically saying, the more you walk with God and the deeper you walk with him, your prayers will transform just like Moses' face transformed. Let me give you another example. Um, There are many families in our church that have been involved in foster care, and they're bringing basically these, these individuals that have had very difficult starts to life into their home. And the stories are heartbreaking if you hear it. Some of the things that they've gone through But one of the things that many of the families have told me that happens with many, especially the younger the kids are, is whenever they bring these children into their home and they're loved and nurtured, they really find a hard time accepting it. Matter of fact, one of the most tragic stories I hear is that whenever they feed them for the first time, really not even for the first time, for the first week or so and even beyond that the kids will always grab food off the plate and put it in their pockets. And they'll go to their bedrooms and hide it in their bed. Why? Because as they grown up, they don't know if they're gonna eat again. And so whenever food is present, they take as much as they can to save some for later because they don't know if they're ever gonna get fed again. My kids don't do that. You know why? Because consistently, since the time they were born, Their mother and their father have put food in front of them every morning, every afternoon, and every evening. My kids don't grow up thinking, I wonder if we're gonna eat today. No, my kids instead ask for Xboxes and stuff like that. Why? Because their relationship with their father has grown to the point that they know he's gonna take care of these things. They don't wake up in the morning and go, Dad, are you gonna feed us today? No, they ask for bigger things, right? because they know those are going to be taken care of. The more you walk with God, the less you're going to ask him for those basic needs to be met. Why? Because you know he's your father. Now for a time you are. You know why? Because you have been neglected orphans. It is the kingdom of darkness that has robbed you of every identity and goodness that God intended for you to have. But when God adopts you back into his family, he begins to show you consistency. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of your basic needs. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to bring you to the fullness of the end of the glory of eternity. I'm going to be faithful to you. And the more we grow to trust God, the more our prayers transform. We don't find ourselves asking, God, will you feed me? God, will you protect me? We start praying audacious prayers like, God, will you transform that person's life and that person's life? And, and Lord, will you let your glory rain down in this place? And Lord, will you bring revival to our culture? How, how do we get to those prayers except that we, th- we feel like all the others are taken care of, and so now we're asking for bigger things and more grand things and more expensive things? That is what P- Paul grew to, Right? He's teaching us in the book of Ephesians. You get to chapter three, and he's praying for the church in Ephesus. And he says, This may you know things, and this is my paraphrase, but he's saying, May you know things that are humanly impossible to know. <laughs> Paul, I mean, why would you pray something so dumb like that? I mean, how could we know something that we can't know? I mean, how could you pray? Why would you even waste your time praying that may you know something that is humanly impossible for you to know? Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on, he goes, may you be filled with the fullness of God. (laughs) Paul, how, how can we, we're limited beings. God is infinite in all of his character. There's no way that these limited finite beings, these bodies could be filled with the fullness of Almighty who is everywhere and present at the same time. There's no way. And Paul already knows what you're thinking. You know what he goes on to say? Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Paul is daring us to pray audacious, kingdom-sized prayers. Saying, is your prayer life too small? Maybe it's because you don't realize where blessing comes from. So the reason we conclude all of our services with this idea of the blessing of God is to remind you that these stories that we study, these truths that we relay week after week, is not so that you walk off more intellectual, more knowing. It's so that you walk out transformed, assured of who God is knowing that you've been invited to the presence of God and you don't have to come here to meet him because he's not in a place anymore. He is everywhere. And if you invite him, he's in your life. Surrender to him and you literally have a well of living water inside you. That's what he promised that woman at the well. Do you remember that? He said, there's a living well that can spring up inside of you. And that's why he said she'd never thirst again. Didn't say she would never need to drink again. Just said she would never thirst again. Why? Because when the well is away from you, you have to keep going to it. And your thirst is what drives you back to it again. But if the well is inside of you, you don't have to go anywhere. You just drink when you need it. You're never thirsty because the well is always there. Jesus has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know what dark valley you're walking through or maybe you're at the mountaintop apex of some great situation in life. Maybe you're entering into marriage. Maybe you're exiting out of a really bad situation. Maybe you find yourself single and lonely wondering when you won't be alone anymore. Maybe you've embraced your singleness and you see this as an opportunity to serve God more fully. I don't know where you are. You do, but whatever it is, I want you to take that to the Lord in prayer today. Take it with an attitude of thanksgiving. God, whatever it is you're teaching me through this circumstance, Lord, let me to embrace the eternal truths that are behind this. Lord, let me not be ever to the point that I am resigning myself, that my pleasure and my identity and my fulfillment is found in this temporal world. Help me always to look beyond this to the bigger things, to the eternal, to the kingdom. Lord, let me pray God-sized prayers for the salvation of my friends, my family, my culture, my world. Let me pray kingdom-sized prayers. Let me learn to trust you in every aspect of my life. Let me give myself over to you completely. Can we reflect on that and pray that now? Let's pray. God, what a powerful way to remind us that what Moses experienced, you want all of us to experience, all of your people. Yes, we were not a part of the group known as Israel that this was first initiated to, but As we understand the New Testament principles, we have been grafted into Israel. And so yet these promises are intended for us that you are a source of blessing, that you want us to approach you, that you want us to know you, to know your character and to trust you and to ask you for grand God-sized request, kingdom request. Lord, the reason we want to always remind ourselves of this blessing is to remind ourselves that you are the initiator of these blessings. You are the source of these blessings, and you are the good father who is never unwilling. You are the father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Lord, may we be transformed by this. May we be transformed not only by the teaching of your word from week to week and from the Bible studies that we go to and the things that we listen to during the week and read, but God, may we not become intellectual, but may we become transformed, ever changed from the glory of your presence. May it radiate from our life and the way that we live through difficult circumstances and the way we live through very blessed circumstances from an earthly point of view. God, may we be faithful with every circumstance that we look and seek to give you honor and glory that is all due to you because of who you are and the faithfulness you've shown to us. Lord, it is in humility and with a very strong sense of our unworthiness that we approach a very worthy God and we lay these petitions at your feet.